Hey, everybody. Welcome to Navel Gazing, the Valley Indie Podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll. And this week, my guest is Justin Farmer, a Democrat running to represent the 17th Senate, State Senate District, which includes Ansonia, Beacon Falls, Bethany, Derby, Hamden, Naugatuck, and Woodbridge. Welcome to the program, Justin. Thank you, and, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Definitely my pleasure. Uh, so you're one of two candidates looking to challenge Republican incumbent State Senate Senator George Logan. The other Democrat is George Cabrera, and a primary between these two candidates is scheduled for August 11th. So before we begin, I'll blab on for like five minutes because that's what I do. I don't cover state government. Uh, I'm like that guy in clerics. I'm not even supposed to be here today. You know, I, the Valley Independent Sentinel is a one-person uh, operation. I concentrate mainly on Ansonia, Derby, and Seymour. I only say all that because I try to do what I can uh, to cover state politics. But then usually I get into a situation, I'll do a podcast, and a, and, a, and a politician or candidate will say something that goes completely over my head, and I'm subject, subjected to uh, torture on Twitter for like the next two weeks. So I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, right now. But the fact that there's a primary next week and there's two candidates and it involves my coverage area, I just wanted to have you on, Justin, to sort of uh, get to know you a little bit and to talk a little bit uh, about the issues. We, we just, we all participated in a debate a week or two ago. It seems like the, the way things are it was 100 years ago. But uh, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that, there's plenty of policy stuff there. Uh, and we'll touch upon a, a little bit of that today. But again, my main focus is to try to, uh, you know, get to know uh, Justin uh, a little bit. But before I begin, and then I'm going to shut up, uh, I just want to read a, an important announcement. COVID-19 has changed life as we know it, and the Valley needs your help now more than ever. The region's health and human service providers face unprecedented challenges in meeting the needs of those affected by this pandemic. Some organizations are even at the risk of closing their doors. You can make a difference right now in our community by joining with others in three ways. One, give directly to Valley nonprofits. Two, participate in the Valley United Way's annual campaign. Or three, support the Valley Community COVID-19 Response and Recovery Fund. Please, for more information, go to Valley Foundation dot org. All right, that's that. I just try to get that in there. It's a really uh, important cause because we're, we're I, you know, it's a cliche at this point, but we are all in this together. Uh, so that's that. So Justin, I wanted to ask you, first of all, in this age of COVID, uh, how are you even campaigning? How does one campaign? Because I know door to door is what, whenever I talk to anybody running for office, they're always like, it's all door to door, door to door, got to go door to door. Can't really go door to door when there's a pandemic happening. So what's going on? So we, we were under the, uh, probably around a month and a half ago, as the numbers were dropping, we decided to go door to door. Um, what we do is um, mask, gloves, People step six feet away from the door. We hang the hanger, knock on the person's door, step back six feet, eight feet. And if a person comes, great. If they're just like, I'm busy right now, I'm like, cool. I don't want to give you COVID or anything. I'm keeping my distance. You take that, the air particles. I'm, I wasn't around your door long enough to give you anything. So you can take it and move safely and freely. Um, 
So that's what we've been doing recently. Um, phone calls. Um, it's been wonderful. We have a lot of youth helping out on the campaign. So out of the 20,000 registered Dems uh, in the Valley, we have called everyone at least once, some people twice, some people more accidentally, because uh, you have households that have multiple people. Um, so <laughs> we apologize for that. Uh, uh, it's not overzealous. It's just, you know, uh, we're trying to make sure we reach every voter. And then it's so got to feel weird, though, because with it, you know, like this whole, I, I mean, is it strange? I mean, you've run campaigns uh, locally before. You've been a candidate because you're, you're on the Legislative Council in Hamden. Uh, and you seem like a people person. I don't know you uh, that well at all, but that's just my impression of you from watching you in a debate. Uh, is it just weird uh, to be campaigning in this? And, and are people even paying attention? I mean, I'm worried about, I'm freaking out about sending my kids to school. There's a tropical storm coming. Uh, is it even, is it more difficult to just get people to focus on this primary? I, I would say so where, you know, there's been some people who've been very excited for months about the campaign. And then there are people who literally just before I got on with you, a community member who lives just down the street from me, I talked to her maybe three weeks ago about issues and how things were going and so on and so forth. And she's like, I, I just realized you're running. I was like, yeah. So you didn't mention it. I'm like, oh, I just thought you knew. Like, I, like, hey, like, we can talk about it. I'm like, I hope you can vote for me. But yeah, like, no, like, <laughs> There's a lot going on with everyone's lives that mm. in many ways, this election is more important than other elections. This election season between this year's primaries and this year's general election, these are probably the most important elections in a decade. And a lot of people have that feeling in 2016, but this is, we have 150,000 people who have died in our country. We have businesses. I just saw someone earlier today on Instagram where they just started a business, um, you know, cutting people's hairs, a hair salon. And, you know, their client has their face mask on and they're trying to get people to like feel that it's safe to come back uh, uh, and, and, and well, not come back, but start new clientele in their first business. Like there, there is so much going on where it has been hard in some cases, um, like even every day, even yesterday, there's people I knocked on people's doors yesterday to talk to. They're like, oh, I didn't know an election was happening. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, I've been following you on Instagram for four months. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they're like, yeah, we're Instagram friends. Or, oh yeah, like we, we follow each other on Twitter. I'm like, oh, oh, that's your handle. So it, it's, it's not as personal as elections usually are. Hmm. But the issues are so much more personal when you think about it. And let me let me allow to push a narrative on you, right? Everyone loves to, to use that phrase. Uh, and again, I'm just an observer who just uh, is following the news. So it's not original reporting here I'm doing, aside from, you know, talking to some uh, Derby and Ansonia Democrats. Uh, but you, you're a candidate. You're, you're I, I would hazard to say that you're more progressive than uh, George Cabrera. And we're seeing this play out all over the country where you have maybe a Democrat who's more centrist, although Cabrera's not an incumbent at this point, but he did run last time. But, uh, you know, is, is that narrative correct? Is that what, how you, and, and the fact you said during the debate, I think you said 
Like you're 25 years old and you're like one of the older people on your campaign. Is that what you had said? Yeah, I, I am. I offended some people, so I actually am the eighth oldest person. I said <laughs> I was the sixth, so I'm actually okay. the eighth. There's a couple of people. There's two people I didn't think of who are part of the core team who are a couple of years older than me. But I last week I turned 26, and I uh, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, and I actually am. Uh, one of the older people on my campaign, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And I, so this is, this is a, it's a, it's a youth grass grassroots movement that's happening right now. I mean, that's essentially what, is that correct? Is that a, I don't want to yeah. like, okay. I, I, uh, internally I've gotten from texts from interns and stuff like, okay, boomer. I'm like, I'm five years older than you. Like, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask when I do talk to sort of Durbin and Sonia Democrats, uh, not formally, not really on the record, just it comes up in passing. There, there is a sense that, well, you know, George Cabrera ran against Senator Logan two years ago and lost by a very thin margin. And that in, in local politics or even state politics, there's sort of this gentleman's agreement where, well, he gets another chance because excuse me, as my headphones fall off, uh, because he came so close, Democrats should clear the way and, and let him have another go at it. So what is motivating you to uh, challenge uh, Cabrera in a primary, since he's the officially endorsed party candidate? So it, it was 77 votes. Um, I would argue that's not close. This is a party dominant district. There's 20% more Democrats in this district than Republicans. Um, the independents, you have some independents that are right leaning, but more of them are in the middle. Um, it was the year of the blue wave, Johanna Hayes got inaugurated in. Like you had all this energy all across the country. AOC, Ilhan, all, everyone was excited. We gotta do better, everyone, all that energy. Um, I had worked on a primary um, it, I was helping Sean Grace after Sean lost our campaign went and helped to the Capera campaign election night I was there in one of his videos you can literally see me there I was there all night helping the Cabrera campaign and, and for me uh, where we are now I'm just like we can't get along to go along um, you know and Sonia and, had explain that to me <laughs> explain that when you said we can't we can't just go along to get along well, because you have a lot of people who say, well, you know, well, people in the Valley are more moderate and, you know, a progressive message, you're forcing that on them. They're not prepared for that. They, they're not about that. Like, that very well may be true, but we have to speak our truth. That's what politics is all about, is people hearing you out. I'm like, cool. My truth might not be your truth, but at the very least, I should have the ability to say to people, I, I had someone say to me, Justin, you have no idea what it's like in our community where there's harassment by officials, where, you know, people are dealing with systemic generational poverty. There's drug addiction. There is housing insecurity. Uh, there is uh, violence. People have been killed several blocks from my house. You have no idea what it's like. I'm just like, oh, cool. Well, I live six houses from New Haven in New Hallville. Uh, where I've grown up with generational poverty. The childhood home I grew up in literally sunk into the ground because it was built on a brownfield. 
many of the brownfields that exist in Ansonia and Derby. I, I, I've seen people die around the block from my house. I've seen people deal with addiction uh, and homelessness. So I'm just like, uh, uh, housing insecurity, transportation insecurity. So I'm like, cool, tell me how my lived experience is different from yours. And, and it's pushing back on people to say, cool, I get there's a cultural difference, but right now where we are as a nation, as a country, as a community, we need to talk about it. There's two police shootings in this district. More than any other senatorial district in the state of Connecticut, there's two police shootings in Ansonia and in Hamden. And most of the leaders were silent. A year later, we're having national protests talking about these things. I was there on the front line. We had a tornado. People knew they were gonna rerun. I was there for the communities. Part of that is I'm on the legislative council, but I was mm -hmm. there for my community in the aftermath of a tornado. We can't just do the things where you don't want to say anything to piss anyone off. I'm like, the stakes are too high. And it's amazing to have so many young people feel inspired and get involved. But a lot of us are getting disillusioned about politics. As someone who's helped the party and gone all around the state, I'm like, cool, people don't want to talk about the urban issues and my issues. My box side has been in Glastonbury and Norfolk and East Granby and East Haddam and Kent and all these places to work for the party to bring about our message and our values. And we, we gerrymandered this district to have two separate communities who have very similar issues and we pit them against each other. And this mm -hmm. campaign is like, listen, that's over. I don't care if you're from Derby. If you have the same issues as me, we're gonna work on it. And I'm not gonna scapegoat and say, we either need to care about poor white people or we need to care about poor black people. Because when we have Greenwich, the third richest place on the planet, there's no reason why it has to be either you or me. And I think that is the issue of why I've decided to run where I'm just like, listen, whether the Democratic Party likes me running or not, this is the conversation that we're having nationally what is the activists, the people on the ground, the people who've been doing the work, the people who've been grinding, the Charlie Bookers, elected, incumbent elected officials who've been doing the work, being told, no, step aside, we have someone who's more moderate and more centrist, who isn't necessarily willing to have the hard conversations, but we feel we can win back the seat. What's the point of winning the seat if you can't change the conversation? And let me, let me just ask you, uh, well, I'm getting some feedback there. That might've been, I don't know what that was, but all right. So in terms of the other thing that, that I've heard, and, and I'm talking about Derby and Ansonia specifically, and I'm sorry to be biased uh, to those communities, but it's where I live and it's where I report on. I know nothing about anything else. There, the other thing that I hear is like, well, Justin's not coming into our community. He's not, he's, he, there's this, and maybe it, it, it's this uh, Hamden versus Derby or Hamden versus the Valley thing uh, that I'm learning a little bit about that, that I guess this is sort of uh, really in the weeds political stuff. But there, there's a feeling that, well, they, he's just concentrating on Hamden. Uh, he's not really uh, putting any value into Democrats uh, in Derby and, and Sonia. And they're saying like, well, George is here all the time. We, every time we turn around, he's at one of our community events. Uh, is that a fair assessment? How would you react to that? I, I, one, I'd categorize it as uh, not a fair assessment. Um, we knew that that was going to be a narrative that has been pushed. I have spent more time in Naukatuck, Beacon Falls, 
Derby and Sonia than I have in Hampton. And that's just a fact. I, as a candidate, have spent more time outside of the own immediate community that I live in to make it clear to people that I'm going to put in that time. For maybe a month and a half, every Sunday, I'd go down to uh, Beacon Falls and, and hang out with people and wave at people as they were passing by uh, to say that he has no home here, that we're all in this together. I don't need to spend my time saying where George isn't and is, because if you see me, my track record, I have a track record of being everywhere. So I'm like, there are going to be some people who feel that I'm not spending enough time, but I know from our canvassing effort, from our door knocking effort, we've put more paid canvassers, I've put more time into Ansonia and Derby than anywhere else. And if people don't feel that, that's understandable because these are communities that have been generationally neglected. As a person who lives in the southern part of Hamden, that is close to New Haven, that in the last three weeks, I've had three shootings in my community, two a couple of blocks around from my house. Cool. I'm the elected official over there, and I don't feel I'm over in my community enough. And I don't feel like the other elected officials are over there enough. And that's what happens when you have people neglected for generations. So I don't fault anybody for saying you're not over here enough because I'm like, cool, you need extra attention. But in terms of the narrative that I'm not over there enough compared to George, you know, when people have meetings and events and stuff and they don't say anything and they want to be gatekeepers, I don't mind. It's my job to figure it out. It's my job to earn your trust. So when you have ribbon cuttings with Lamont going down there and everyone can stand down there, that's great. That's fine. But, you know, Hamden's also 37% of the district. You know, when we're talking about people who've been generationally neglected, I am not going to do the same thing that we're always told where you either care about them or you care about them. So when the majority of the district is the town I live in and I don't see George, when I'm in Naugatuck and I don't see George, the second largest community, and then you have Ansonia and Derby, I'm like, the third and fourth largest communities, yeah, we need to pay attention to all of them. But like, yeah, I've also been spending a lot of time in Beacon Falls that has the least amount of people. Are you kind of blocked out to a certain, and I'll move on because I don't want to, this is, sorry, it's probably not the, no, 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 no. You, it's not, it's not you at all. I'm, but I'm sort of fascinated by this, but maybe it's too inside baseball. Because you had mentioned like Lamont came down for ribbon cutting in Ansonia. Yeah. And there are these events where uh, a lot of politicians will, will show up. Are you, are you saying you're sort of boxed? I mean, I guess it's not a stretch to imagine that you're not being told of all these things. Does that happen? Yeah, which I'm, um, again, I, until I earn enough people's trust, I'm going to be left out of those conversations because they don't feel that I'm their guy. But that's the point of running a primary. I want to be our guy. So when I prove it, either people will be upset and will move forward through the primary and I'm going to have to prove over the next two years I'm the person. Or they're going to say, cool, you won the primary. Let's move on. Let's make sure we win back this seat. But up until then, that's the expectation. I was the outsider in my community. I ran in a primary. I won by 23 votes. I turned 23 the month before I won. Four votes over a mandatory recount. Two and a half years later, for the last two election cycles, I'm the highest vote getter in my town. <laughs> you have to earn people's trust. 
Yeah, you know, one thing uh, I wanted to get into also is sort of your background and where you're from. I thought during that debate, uh, I mean, I've been a reporter for too long at this point. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know, 21 years or something like that. And I thought you gave like the greatest answer. I don't even remember what my question was, so I'll probably mess this. It was like this. It was like, hey, hey, Justin, uh, you don't have a chance type of thing. You know what I mean? And uh and you said something along the line of, uh, I'm a black man with a disability, I can do anything, which I thought was uh, quite, quite an answer. So I wanted to talk about, uh, if you would, uh, uh, and again, people, if, there's, if people wanna hear more policy, there is a whole debate that Justin did that you can listen to. Uh, and there's also, he's been on uh, New Haven Radio with the New Haven Independent WNHH. So, but anyway, I wanna talk about uh, where you uh, grew up and uh, how you, cause you call yourself, you know, you're an activist politician. Where does that come from? So uh, how many brothers and sisters you have, uh, mom and dad, what they do for a living? Tell me some of that. I am the youngest of five. Uh, hey, me too. I Hey, I, I, uh, the second youngest is 11 years older than me. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and the oldest is, uh, uh, a little over two years shy of being twice my age. All right. So uh -huh. let me interrupt right there. So is that like, cause I, I mean, I have four older brothers, uh, one is closer, but it was really like growing up with four fathers. Was it like that? Were you, was it sort of, you had, Oh yeah, it, it is. You know, I, I remember as young as like probably 19 versus like, yeah, like, you know, when you get a mortgage uh, and the things that you need to think about, I'm like, bro, I'm 19. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean a mortgage? Like, I, I'm not at that level of life yet to think about those type of things or like being eight. And it's just like, you know, uh, my mom is just like, you know, don't you think about stealing my car and going joyriding and, you know, hanging out with your friends, da, 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 da. And I'm like, hold up. Does she mean like Hot Wheels or like the car? I'm like, I'm eight or nine. I don't think I'm going to take the car, like the car car. What would you're I do? You're paying for the sins of, uh, of the older <laughs> ones. Yeah. 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 That's funny. So like, um, I mean, when, yeah, when did you, what was it like? What was your, what was your situation growing up? So my family immigrated to America uh, a decade before I was born. Um, my family's originally uh, from Jamaica. I'm the only American born. Um, most of my family got nationalized uh, while I was growing up. So I probably was probably like 13 or 14 when my last sibling became a US citizen. So I had mixed documentation in my family my whole entire life where there was at least one person who was not a citizen while I just being born here was a citizen and, and realizing that. Um, early 90s, community I grew up in, in New Haven, my first year I was born, my family lived in East Rock in New Haven. And as the area got gentrified, um, we were forced to move around and hop around and chase rent. And we ended up on the borderline of Hamden and New Haven. The childhood house I grew up in, it sunk into the ground because it was built on faulty foundation. It's yeah, and you mentioned, you mentioned that, that, that incident a lot. That's the second time you brought it up in this interview. What impact did that, was that like sort of the beginning of your uh, awakening uh, uh, to politics? The fact that in your, your so house- In so many ways, yeah, my whole community. I remember my childhood where there was a lot of violence, drugs, needles, tons of other stuff that 
as I look back, I realize how problematic my neighborhood was. It's much better now. I say it's much better, and we had three shootings over the last two and a half weeks. And I'm saying it's much better than it used to be to things I didn't even process as problematic, where now, if I had a kid and I had them in that environment, I would be terrified. Where, you know, my whole entire community was built on a landfill. They filled it in. Houses are sinking. And I grew up with uh, activists like Carol uh, Brown. Uh, Miss Carol Brown, she passed away last year, driving around with a bullhorn around the community to let people know of a community meeting about foundation and cleaning up because the town didn't want to take responsibility. The elected officials wanted to hush-hush it. And we got most of the area remediated. And even still to this day, it took a decade after I was born to finally have them do the work. When I went to my junior prom, the day I stepped out of my house, they were knocking down my childhood house because I had mm -hmm. sunk to the ground so much that it was a hazard. Now, as a councilman, I fought for Hartford to get funding for the area. Where two decades after this fight, there's still 20 or 30 homes that are still sinking into the ground. So, and why, why did that? It, it, I think maybe if I went through that, just to, not to bring myself into it, maybe I would have been like, you know what? Politics stinks. Uh, politicians stink. You seem to have gone the other way. How did that happen? I still believe that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Uh, I, I had a hard experience in school. My junior year, I got sick with Tourette's. Uh, this neurological movement disorder. I was having seizures for a while, for like four months, every two weeks. I was going to the hospital for a seizure, fought my school for resources. At, at one point, the school called, they told me it's your last day of school. You can't, uh, you know, just go to home in school suspension. You're not in trouble, but just chill out there because we don't want you to get stressed out because if you get stressed out, you'll get sick and then you'll end up having a seizure. I was like, uh, I had worked in the special education department as a student for two summers took a disability law book, uh, saw how I was treated and other students were treated from other parts of towns who looked different from me. And I was like, cool, you're trying to violate my rights and you don't want to pay money to educate me. Um, cool, I'm going to go to class and that's what it's going to be. And if you don't want me to come back, that's fine. But I'm telling you today I'm going to class. They called security, they called the police. Uh, like, cool, I'm not going to touch anyone. I'm not going to be disrespectful, but I know my rights. They put me in the back of a squad car, I had a seizure, went to the hospital, spent three months on homeschooling, got a disability lawyer from the state, got an advocate from the state, fought my school, and they had to pay for private school for a year and a half for me. And after having that experience, up until that experience, I was like, cool, I only care about marine biology. I care about fish. I care about overfishing. People, we suck. I don't want to be around people. Like, I love people, but I don't want to be around people because we're so messy and problematic and frustrating. And then this experience happened to me. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I read the DSM-4 and diagnosed myself with OCD. I had to push my school. I'm like, you need to pay for funding. You need to, I know something's wrong with me. Yeah, I had to push. Let me just ask you, you had said uh, Tourette's came on your junior year of high school and you're 26 now. So we're talking about what, 12 years, years ago or so? Yeah. How much? 
seven, eight years ago. Okay. So, all right. So this is all pretty fresh. Was it, uh, did you have struggles and you just mentioned OCD? Did you struggle in school uh, before that? Cause I mean, all I have a son. Life, who, okay. All my OCD, we knew that I had ADHD from a young age, but like, I remember I, I read, I would read through the diagnostic manual because at the time something was going on with my body and I couldn't figure it out. And like, I know something's wrong with me. I skipped anorexia, I skipped bulimia because I knew I wasn't anorexic bulimic. I skipped Tourette's ironically because I knew it as a cursing disease. Yeah, only 10% of us say cursing and inappropriate things, which ironically, again, I happen to be the rare 10%. But I skipped Tourette's because, like, I don't have Tourette's. And I remember mm -hmm. reading OCD. And I was like, oh, this is me. Like, this is me. And then to get tested at Yale at the OCD and Tourette's clinic. And it's like, yeah, you have OCD. Yeah, you have Tourette's. Um, that was the experience for me that I, I, I and remember. Like, and, like, how, as a young person, uh, how do you, you sort of navigate, I mean, just socially, uh, to have that weight upon you that can't be easy. How did you do that? And who was sort of uh, your mentor? Who did you lean on in, in your family to, to, to get through that? I, I mean, I mean, not that you're through it, but how did you? Know, uh, you know, my family, culturally, my family being from Jamaica, we don't believe in medicines like modern, you know, Western medicine. If I have a headache, I don't take a Tylenol. I don't put crap in my body. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I try to stay away from caffeine. So even initially going to take medication to deal with this was a big cultural difference where it's just like, like you want to take drugs, like don't let people mess you up and mess with your brain and using all that junk. And, and it was a hard fight to get that. My family has been very supportive. Now I'll say things like, you know, I'll slap the back off a seven and my mom's like, cool, pass me the orange juice. And like, and there will be no acknowledgement of what I just said being weird or out there. But initially it was hard to adjust to. And this was at a time at like 17, I had just gotten to the point in high school where I was like, I'm the man, I'm an upperclassman. Like I, I got credit, like people are respecting me. I'm taking AP classes. I'm like, man, I'm really the stuff. And then I got hit with being sick and it made me reevaluate everything because now I had, I was having panic attacks. I was taking medications that were making me gain weight. I, it, it, was a, it was a heavy adjustment and it was through family and then what really propelled me into activism, when you go to communities and you fight with people, people don't care what you look like, what's going on with you. It's like, cool, you showing up to help union people? Cool, you're a part of the family. Cool, you're showing up to help undocumented people? We don't care if you babble in the, the corner of the room. Cool, do you? We can't wait to see you at the next meeting. And it's been being part of those small groups that have allowed me to feel comfortable where I can now walk into any room and I forget that I wear the headphones until someone's like looking at my ear and just kind of like staring at me. And I'm just like, huh, do I have something in my teeth? Like, hmm, maybe something's <laughs> on my lips. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm the dude who wears headphones. That's why they're like acting all weird. And we should, I should just point out for anybody not familiar, you wear noise canceling headphones because it helps you. That's, it, yeah. it helps you sort of, uh, and if you didn't have them, it would be the sensory overload. You've Facts. It, it, and then, it, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, just to say, you know, without the headphones, the last time I tried was maybe four years ago. If I went a couple of days straight without wearing the headphones, I would go from having two or three manifestations in a minute to having 24 upwards where I would just nonstop. At one point I had self-interest where I was punching myself in the face where without the headphones, I'm unable to move through the day in a way that I could just do it normally. And with them, it dramatically brings everything down where, you know, I can go days straight doing stuff and like I'll have weird things here and there, but nothing so noticeable that people are like, okay, this guy is out there. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing. And then, and then you've worked it into a whole logo for your campaign, which is just, that's pretty brilliant too. So I, I guess like, uh, uh, we should probably uh, uh, wrap this up. Uh, but I do thank you for coming on and just talking to me with like sort of no script or anything like that. I got to compliment you and George, the fact that you guys did that debate where you had one minute answers. I, uh, I thought that was going to be a disaster because, you know, it's like usually people, there's a minute of thanking before they even get to, a, to answer a question. So, but I'll just, I'll just end it with this, uh, or my last question. Like, let's say, you know, you win the primary and you make it to, to Hartford. What's your, your, what would be your top priority uh, as a newly elected lawmaker representing our area? I, I think, like I said before, transportation is the key to everything. Um, if we're talking about job development, getting jobs, you need transportation. If you're talking about housing, like if you can't get to affordable housing, you can't get to a place. Uh, if you don't have the capital for a car, it doesn't matter if I give you, you know, cheap rent at $800, $700 a month. If it's a mile or two from the bus or from anywhere else, it doesn't matter. So transportation is key. You have the Waterbury line, you have the Port of Nakatuck, you have these big staples in the district that are transit oriented. And that is just going to be the main focus where, you know, the valley is a beautiful place. It, it is, it, you drive through and you see, you know, between the, the river and seeing, you know, the mountains and you see the houses on the hilltops. It's a wonderful place. But if you don't drive, and you don't know anyone out there, there's no reason to go there. And that's beautiful because it keeps community, but in able to bring in industry, you want people to come to your community. You want them to crave, you want them to be part of it. And that's where public transportation and fixing transportation in general in that area, in this region, that's what's gonna save us. Because the factory jobs, they're not coming back. Uh, some of the brownfields that have been made you might not be able to get other businesses in, but there are people from New York and other places that are buying into this community that want to be part of it. So it's just making the infrastructure so that people can say, you know what, I just want to go and look at the river and chill out. And like, I, don't, I hate New Haven, I hate Waterbury, I hate Bridgeport. I just want to go and take a bus or take a train and go sit and look at the river. Or I just want to sit and, you know, and look at the hills in Nakatuck. That that is something that we can do if we build transportation, and that's something that if we don't do, generations are going to be left out. So that's my focus and mindset. All right, sir. Well, with that, I want to thank you again. 
for coming on there. It, it was nice talking to you. And uh, I guess uh, I'll see you uh, a primary night, perhaps. Yes. Uh, thank y'all. Uh, safe travels. Uh, and uh, uh, I hope you will look more into me, Justin Farmer. All right, sir. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.